Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, back in ancient Israel, Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year to celebrate three national festivals. Now, Jerusalem was built up on a hill, and the final trek up to the gates must have been exciting for the villagers coming to the big city. There are several psalms in the Bible that were sung as these pilgrims walked up the final hill, and these psalms are referred to as Psalms of Ascents. So let's study some of these psalms together and have our hopes rise, as I'm sure they did for those early Hebrew pilgrims. And so I want a two-part message on ascending, on going to the next step, getting closer to God. And I have been reading these psalms, um, and they're called the Psalms of Ascents. Ascents. You know what ascend to ascend is? You ascend a staircase, you walk up a staircase, or you ascend a mountain. So each of these psalms, if you look at them, they're in Psalms 120 all the way through Psalms 134. And if you look in your Bibles, just if you can, you can turn to Psalm 120 if you want to. You'll see the title right under Psalms 120. It says a Psalm of ascent. A Psalm of ascent. And, and you look at Psalms 121, 122, all the way through 134, you'll see each of them says Psalm of Ascent. So we're going to look at these Psalms of Ascents, all right? Psalms of Ascents. All, we're not going to look at all, all the Psalms. We're just going to look at a few of them. And here's the neat thing, all right? I don't know about you, but when I read a book and each chapter of the book is 50 pages long, I lose my mind. I'm like, I can't read this book. I love reading books that have short chapters <laughs> because I am ADD <laughs> and I can't stay focused very long. And so books that have little short chapters, hey, I can, I can do that. Well, here's the good news. Each of these Psalms is insanely short. You can read them in a short burst. In fact, the shortest one, I think, is three verses long. That's a really short chapter. And so uh, we're going to be, over the next two weeks, we're going to be reading through these psalms. And I've, I've kind of cherry-picked some of them. We're going to look at three of these chapters uh, uh, today. And, uh, but before we do that, before we do this, I, I like, you know, pictures are worth a million words. And, and you got to understand, what was the purpose of these psalms of ascent? And so what I'd like to do... I, I'll show you a couple of pictures if you want to go to the next one here. And I wish those that were online you could see this. But these are some depictions of Jerusalem uh, during the time of King David. And, and before we get too, too deep into this, Joshua had gone into the promised land and he was taking cities from the Canaanites little by little, doing what God had told him to do. He says, go in and take the land. He took the land. One of the places that Joshua didn't, and it wasn't Joshua's fault, but they didn't do a good job of capturing was the city of Jerusalem. It was, it was still occupied in David's time, in Saul, King Saul's time, it was still occupied by the Jebusites. And so if you read in there in, in 1 Kings and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, uh, Second Kings, you you see all the story of the kings. Well, that that the story of David is he went in and conquered Jerusalem, and he made it first the capital of Judah, and then he made it the capital of all Israel, and then he made it the center of worship for all of Israel. 
He made it the center of worship because this ended up being where the uh, first the ark was brought and then the temple was built in Jerusalem. And so you got to get a sense. So so the, the, the Israelites would come to Jerusalem and at, because it became the center of worship, they came to Jerusalem and they would ascend up towards the gates of Jerusalem and they would sing these psalms. They would sing Psalms 120, Psalms 121, Psalms 122. They would sing these as they were ascending for three festivals, and one of them was the Passover. So they would come to roots. They would congregate in Jerusalem. And as you can see here, Jerusalem was not a very big place. (laughs) In fact, one of the Psalms that we'll read today says, talking about how wonderful Jerusalem is, but how compact it is. I mean, building against building, house on top of house. And it was very, one of the pictures we're going to look at, you can see it was kind of, it was very hilly, and it was pronounced, uh, you know, very compact. But before you go to that one, though, Cole, I'm sorry, go back. Look at these. They'd come up these paths, and they're looking high up on these walls. I mean, they're, they're ascending up to Jerusalem, and they are so excited. How excited are you going to be for Thanksgiving when you don't have to work, for those of us that are, that are working? I love holidays. I don't have to work. I can relax, and I get to be with the, the people that I love, my family, all right? Well, that's how it was for these celebrations. They were coming to Jerusalem. They were going to see cousin from that part of the country and this aunt and this uncle, and they were going to come. They were going to celebrate. They were going to eat all they they could eat. One of the festivals was a festival of tabernacles. They were going to create little booths for themselves. It was an exciting time. So as they're ascending up in Jerusalem, they're seeing the huge walls. They're singing these psalms. They're excited about, about what God is going to do. They're excited about getting, getting back together again. So now go, go to the next slide. Now you can begin. Now we're at the north side looking at the very top. Look at how, you know, kind of stair-stepped it was. It was an interesting city. Have you, do you see pictures of these European cities that are kind of up on a hill and they're windy little roads that go up? That's what Jerusalem was like. And it, was a, it, was, it must have been an incredibly interesting place to visit. But it got so cram-packed that it wasn't so much on this side. Go, go back to the, other, the first one, Cole. This side over here is a lot of times where they would set up their, their tents and stuff because there's just not enough room in Jerusalem for all the villages to come. They would camp outside... And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, that farthest highest one back over there is the Mount of Olives. But now, you know, even even just a couple of hundred years later, all that mountain was lined with homes. They had buildings. They built all around outside the, the main walls out there. Uh, but anyways, uh, go on, Cole. Uh, skip to the next one now. Okay, here's a view of how one of these paths, and you can see the people coming into the gate them coming to Jerusalem just rejoicing. They were excited. It was a place of safety. I mean, once you got into Jerusalem, you had those walls around you. It was a safe place. You weren't a villager anymore. You were part of the kingdom of Israel. You had a sense of belonging. You, you were excited about it. So here's maybe a second to the last slide. This is, this is really interesting, too. This is really how David found it. 
He found it, and it had a wall right there in the very back, and that's where he built his palace at the very top. But above that is the Temple Mount, and that's where currently that mosque is in in Jerusalem. Uh, But that's where Solomon eventually built the Temple of God. And let me tell you what, when the Temple was built and all Israel came, they got really excited because there's no longer just... The, uh, uh, you know, a, a tent <laughs> with the ark. Here's David's beautiful palace, and then there's just this little tent for the ark. No, he built a massive temple, and it dwarfed Jerusalem. It was huge, 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 huge. Uh, but these Israelites, as they came, would come up these paths and either go through that gate or that gate. And then there was another gate on the other side that I think was called a valley gate that they would go through as well, singing these psalms of ascents. And I'll show you one more picture. And this is an actual picture. This is in the Kidron Valley, again, on the on the lower, um, see if that's north, that would be east, right? This is the east side of Jerusalem, and now you can get a picture yourself of how high those walls were and how you would have to ascend up into Jerusalem because it was, it was built on a hill. So with, isn't, that, isn't that helpful now? As we read these Psalms, this will make a lot more sense to us of the excitement, the enthusiasm, and the purpose for these, for these Psalms uh, as these pilgrims would come to Jerusalem once, twice, or even three times a year. Okay, so the, the one that I'd like to take, start with, we're going to do this for two Sundays, is Psalms 122. Now, see, I'm the pastor, so I get to pick which ones I want to show you. <laughs> That's unfair. But you know what you get to do is this week, you can start in Psalms 120 and just kind of work your way through it. Read it slow. Since it's short, read these Psalms really slow. Man, digest it. See what God has to say to you as you read these psalms. They're so good. They're so rich. But let's look at Psalms 122, the third song, psalm of, of ascent. And this one is written by King David. Now, interestingly enough, not all of these are, not the whole psalms is not all written by King David. They're written by different authors. And we're going to see one that's anonymous that's pretty interesting. But I'll, I'll wait to, until we get to that one uh, to, to, to talk about it a little bit more. But Psalms 122, a, a, song, a psalm of David that he wrote. He said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced. I was standing out here just waiting for you guys to get here this morning. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to see you. And part of it was that yesterday was so much fun. It, it felt, man, that's a cool ringtone. I like that one. <laughs> um, I couldn't wait to get here. You know why? Because for those of you that didn't get a chance to come yesterday, we had church yesterday. We had, there was no singing. There was no preaching. There was no offering. There was mopping, there was dusting, there was moving, there was driving, there was heavy labor, there was shifting things around. We had church yesterday, and I couldn't wait again today to get together once again. There's a sense of camaraderie, a sense of closeness, a sense of of companionship, of family here. And so I rejoice with those who said, let us all go to the house of the Lord. Let's go to the place where we can all be together. Our feet, and then I love how, how David says this, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. 
I'm glad that I'm not outside of those walls right now, outside of those doors. I'm glad I'm inside the gates right now. Aren't you? That's how David, he was enthusiastic. He was excited. Let me tell you what, let me tell you something. We don't go to church. We are the church. Do you get that? If you think it's hard to go to church once a week on Sundays, you've already missed the point. <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's an identity that we take on. We are Christians. We are Christ, Christians, if you will, Christ-like. And, and we take that identity with pride, with enthusiasm, with excitement. Now, if I'm a Christian, why on earth would I isolate myself from other Christians? That doesn't make any sense. My purpose in life, listen to this, this, I was created to belong. You were created to belong to this family. Everybody was created to belong to this family of God. We were born to be a part of the body of Christ. We were born for this. So every time we come together, we're, we're fulfilling a sense of destiny, of of, of what we were created to do, to, to be together. This pandemic has absolutely decimated the purpose of the church. And then our, you know, certain wonderful state governments have gotten in there and tried to do even worse things, unfortunately. You know what? We're not going to put up with that. Don't allow yourself to be isolated. Isolation breeds deception, hands down. The, every time I'm alone, I start getting lies going through my head, and eventually I'll start believing them. But we're not going to allow that. We were born to be part of the family of God. I tell you what, we're alive to be accepted. There's no worse thing in life for a human being than to be rejected. It is the worst feeling, worst event that could ever happen. And every single one of us has experienced rejection at some point in our life. It's terrible. We're alive to be accepted, and we're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Christ. You can come as you are into Jesus, but let me forewarn you, when you come into Jesus, he's going to change you. He's going to change you. You don't stay the same when you come into the presence of God. When you read his word, you will change. You will change. And it, it, it's better than okay. It's the best thing ever to be changed. To, you know what? Right now, you're probably going through a troubled time, a difficulty right now. You know what God is doing to you? He's, he's transforming you. He's transforming you through your experiences in life. It's like a, a butterfly in the metamorphosis of a, a whatever a butterfly is before they're a butterfly. Cact caterpillar, right. <laughs> a caterpillar becoming... A, a butterfly is not an easy process. It's not easy on that poor little caterpillar butterfly. You know, He's, it's, it's miserable. It's struggling. It's pushing. It's, it's striving. But you know what? Eventually it comes out and transformed into a completely different object. Completely different object. God is transforming you through your trials and your tribulations, through your struggles. Don't give up. So, I mentioned, don't just go to church. We are the church, all right? But I jumped ahead of myself there a little bit. But listen to this. As these people 
walked up towards Jerusalem, they were singing this song, I can't wait to be with my family, my extended family, my spiritual family, in that case, my national family. I can't wait. They were singing this psalm with excitement, and they had reason to be happy. Let me tell you what. We rejoice in the Lord. We have reason to rejoice in the Lord. You have a good reason. There's every reason in the world to be happy in Jesus. Now, when you get out of Jesus, that's where you get unhappy. That's where depression starts setting, and that's where mental illness starts setting, and that's where anxiety starts setting. But if you get into Jesus, you have reason to be happy. Let's read on here in verse 3. As these, as these Hebrew pilgrims are walking up in Jerusalem, they're saying, Jerusalem is built like a city, and they're looking at it. Hey, it's really built like a city. I'm from the village. This is a city. This is a walled, protected place that's clo- with closely compacted together. David was writing this because he saw that he lived that. He said, man, these little, these little homes, are they're, they're compact. They're close together. That is where the tribes go up. I love the word up. They're ascending, the psalm of ascents, the tribes of the Lord. Listen to this. To praise the name of the Lord according to the statutes given to Israel. To praise the name of the Lord. Have you ever had trouble praising God? You knew you were supposed to. Or even thanking God. Maybe that's maybe it's it's easier to connect with that one. Have you ever had trouble thanking or praising God? Absolutely. I had trouble thanking or praising God this very week. And I bet we all have. You know what? When you praise God, it should flow. It shouldn't be hard. It should just come out of you naturally. And I'll tell you, here's something I'm learning this week. Thanks to a podcast my son gave me. (laughs) It's hard to praise God when you're empty. Praise flows from abundance. Praise flows from something you have. How can you praise God when you're empty? I would tell you, you need to first spend time getting filled with God and then let what's filled you turn into the praise, into the thanksgiving that God has, that God deserves. So let me ask you, what should you fill yourself with every morning so that praise is just a natural thing instead of such a forced thing? I've heard word. Yeah. Fill yourself with the Bible. See, this is, it blows my mind. Religion and us, if we're not careful, we can start getting into what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But you know what's way more important than that is why you should do it. (laughs) When you understand why you should read the Bible, it fills you so that you can praise God. You'll start reading the Bible. Religion tells you, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do the other. But you know what? If we start understanding why we should do things, we're going to do them naturally. We're going to do them because we want to, not because we have to. All right, so I need to fill myself every morning with a Bible. I need to fill myself every morning with the truth. Why do I need to be filled with truth? So that I have no room for lies in my head. Fill yourself. Get your Bible out. Read it. Digest it. Inhale it. Drink it. Eat it. Get as much of it as you can. Because then when the lies start knocking at your head throughout the day, you'll say, "Uh uh-uh, sorry, there's no room for you in my mind here. No room for depression. I'm sorry, I've got too much of the truth in me. 
All right. You need to fill yourself so that you can praise the Lord out of the abundance of truth. Here's the second thing you need to fill yourself. Fill yourself with love. Can you get in front of the mirror every morning and look at yourself and say, God loves you. God loves you. The Bible tells us to stay in the love of God. Stay, go jump into that ocean of God's love and never, ever get out again. The Bible says that he pours his love into our hearts. So every morning, get up, open your heart and say, God, pour your love into my heart right now. <laughs> I, I need to know how much you love me. Don't, don't spend your time trying to love someone that you can't love. It's too hard. All right. Receive God's love and then you're going to be able to love everybody. But don't force yourself to try to love somebody that you can't love. It's impossible. Receive the love of God so that you can praise God all day long. The third thing I tell you is receive hope every morning. Every morning say, God, I feel hopeless. I feel depressed. I feel like I can't get out of bed. Fill me with hope this morning. You know what? God's going to do it every single morning. His mercies are new every single morning. Then you're going to be able to praise God freely. It's going to flow naturally. You're going to be blessed through it. So what empties us? We're like these tanks with holes that are just, they leak. You leak all this stuff out and you get up every morning empty. You need to be filled. What is it that causes us to be that? Well, there's many things. An overly busy life is going to, is going to make you empty very quickly. <laughs> Worrying a lot is going to make you empty. Believing the lies that come against you all day long, that's going to empty you out in these distracting delights that we have. And we all have them, distracting delights. Things that we love more than we love God are going to empty us out very, very quickly. We think they're going to fill us because we enjoy them, but then we realize, you know what, that just leaves me empty. It leaves me dissatisfied. Let's read on in verse 5 now of Psalms 122. It says, Therefore, it's uh, so speaking of Jerusalem, there stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of, of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm going to jump down and just explain. I love how God does things. He doesn't just say, do this or you're dead. <laughs> Don't do this. Or I'm going to punish you. He always tells you what's in it for you god is so good if i did that if you did that with your kids do this or i'm gonna beat the snot out of you how what kind of relationship are you and your kids gonna have are they gonna follow your your lead no it's all about punishment that's not how god works it's how religion works but that's not how god works he says in verse 8 here, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. Do you want your family and friends to be in, in a good place? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when there's peace in Israel, there's, some, there's, there's a lot of peace in this world, believe it or not. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful here because someone is probably going to disagree with me because it says pray for the peace in Jerusalem. It means pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I'm going to take this as well and say, okay, then pray for the peace of El Paso so that your family and friends can do well. Pray for the peace of the United States so that your family and friends can do well, so that your kids will have a, a better life. 
pray for the peace, but especially pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I feel delinquent in this. I feel that I've been negligent. I don't pray enough for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says to do it, and I'm going to do it. Pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of this city, this country. May those who love you be secure. All right, that's saying those who stand by Israel, they're going to be secure. <laughs> they're going to be secure. That's why I'm thankful to date, and it's kind of tenuous, that our country stands behind Israel. We've got to stand beside the, the, the people of God and pray that they become uh, Jews for Jesus and not just Jews for, for the Old Testament. They come to know the Son of God <laughs> that was born to them. Amazing. May the peace be in your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. We need to pray for our country, folks. It says right here, for the sake of the house of our Lord our God. If we want to have church, and again, I don't like using it that way. If we want to have church, we better be praying for our country. This country is well on its path to limiting what we as Christians can do. Well on its path. I was watching, I was watching, um, and I, I believe you got to be careful with all news, whether conservative news or liberal news, because they all come with a very strong agenda. You got to be very careful with both of them. But I did see this, and it just shocked the living daylights out of me. A time during the pandemic when, when uh, Christians were outside of the church. They had spaced themselves. They had like stickers they were standing on, so they were well-spaced. They were having church outside, and there was a police handcuffing each of the, of the people as they were singing a worship song. Can you believe that in the United States? Give me a break. Give me a break. We're not going to use the pandemic to limit our ability to worship the Lord, period. We're not going to do it. All right. This country is well on its way. What should we be doing? We should be praying for this country, Amen. praying for this country that this doesn't this kind of stuff doesn't happen. All right. This, that's one psalm of a sense. So these people, they were literally walking up to Jerusalem, singing these words as they as they entered into the city. Next psalm, Psalm 126. Again, another very short one. But this one reads. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Have you ever had something happen that was so good it just blew your mind? <laughs> we're really good at remembering the bad stuff, but surely something good has happened in your life that when it happened, you were like, I cannot believe that just happened to me. <laughs> maybe it was spiritual, maybe it was physical, maybe it was... Who knows what it was? You were blown away. That's what this psalm is about, is something so good happening to you that you're just absolutely blown away. Now, let me, let me say this. The way that I've read this, the way that it's written in the New International Version is probably not the most accurate because it's really speaking of when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like people who dreamed. And it's very likely that this, this, this uh, chapter, Psalms 126, was actually written possibly by Ezra. After the people had come back from, from Babylon, 
they began to inhabit the Holy Land. They began to, through, with Nehemiah, they built the walls of Jerusalem. In Ezra's time, they began to build a temple again, all right? And they couldn't believe this was finally happening. The captives had come back. Their fortunes were restored. They were back in their homeland. I mean, the only way that you can picture this is if you were taken out of the United States, lived 70 years in a foreign country against your will, and then were allowed to come back to your own house, your own city, your own bedroom, your own bathroom. You would be like people who had dreamed. You'd be blown away. That's how they felt, and we have to understand that. We were like people who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. What else are you going to do? You're going to rejoice. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And then the psalmist pauses and says, wait a second. No, the Lord has done great things for us. <laughs> and that's as these Hebrew pilgrims we're walking up towards Jerusalem. They're reliving what their ancestors had felt of coming back to Jerusalem and thanking their lucky stars that they were able to come back to Jerusalem in safety. And therefore, they were singing this at the time of Passover. Restore. So check this out. Then the psalmist pauses and says, you know, wait a second. That was good, but I'm going to pray it for the future. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Restore it. Pray for your children that are struggling right now. God, restore them. Bring them back as, as would-be captors that have been set free. I pray for my marriage. God, restore my fortunes. Or I pray for my health. God, restore my health. God, restore whatever it is that you're praying for. Because God did it once, he can do it again. He's done it a hundred times, he can continue to do it again. So as you're rejoicing, also pray, God, do it again. God, do it again. Those that sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping will carry seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Well, Never forget, we had a missionary from Africa come in, and he preached on this, and I'll never forget it. He said, we as Americans, we have no idea because we're not agricultural farmers anymore for the most part. We don't know what this is like. He says, in Africa, they, you know, from one crop, they make sure they keep, let's say it's corn. I don't know if they grow corn in Africa, but they keep part of that corn to make sure that they can plant that for the next season. And they'll eat part of it, but they're keeping seed for the next time. And as they sow, they're, they're, they're weeping because they're praying for rain. They're praying for a good crop because if one bad crop, that family doesn't have anything to eat. They don't have any seed for the future. They don't have anything. And so we, we need, man, as we sow seed with people, we need to be crying, God, save that person. Take that seed. Let it become something that's permanent in that person's life. Turn that person around. I want to see somebody's life turned around for Jesus. I want to see somebody's life transformed. God's in the life-transforming business. He's given you seed to sow. Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you telling about Jesus? It's all on our shoulders. I don't care if you're shy. I don't care if you're outgoing. Every one of us has the, the responsibility to shine our life for people in this world. 
It says in Hebrews 10, 35 through 36, it says, for the, you know, for people who are just hanging in there. <laughs> they've sown the seed. They haven't seen anything yet. It says, don't throw away your confidence. It will richly be rewarded. You need to persevere so that when the will of God is done, you receive what he has promised. Have you gotten a promise from God? Hang on to it. Believe it, man. They operate in faith and say, I'm going to pretend God like it's already done. In fact, you're not pretending because God is a God that calls those things which be not as though they were. Enjoy the fulfillment of your promise before it's even fulfilled. That's the evidence of faith. Well, here's the last one in Psalms, 130, uh, Psalms 130. And I call this one, how to climb out of your pit and up into your peak. <laughs> How to climb from the lowest valley to the highest peak. And we've been talking about that the last couple of Sundays, about staying on the mountaintop. That's where God wants you to be. But look at this. And, and again, picture these Jews walking up into Jerusalem. They're walking from their lowly visit, village up into their beautiful capital uh, of, of Israel, which is Jerusalem. Psalms 130, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord out of the depths. So we're talking about going from the pit to the peak. How do you do it? First step is cry out to God. I wouldn't praise God. I wouldn't thank God. I wouldn't even pray. I'd just call out to God. God, help me. God, help me. What pit are you in right now or have been in recently? Think about it. What do you need to do? Get home. Get into a place where you won't be embarrassed, all right? Get by yourself and call out to God. Cry out to God. The Bible promises, and I've tested it over and over again, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. It works. Yeah. It works for the drug addict, and it works for the saint. Amen. It works for the prostitute. It works for the person who's kept their life pure. It doesn't matter who you are. You call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Amen. You will be saved. So that's what the first step out of your pit is just to call out for help. Say, God, help me. There was an elderly man. I was trying to tell, uh, tell him about Jesus. He didn't want to hear anything about it. I said, sir, can I just tell you one, one more quick thing? He said, sure. Tell me whatever you want to tell me. I said, check this out. I said, if you ever get to the place where you have no options, no help, maybe your health is shot, always remember you can call on the name of Jesus and he'll rescue yeah. right then. And I hope and pray that that guy, even at maybe his last breath, he's thinking, oh, I remember that guy told me to call on the name of the Lord. How many people I think are going to be in heaven in their last breath of reaching out to God? I think heaven is going to be full of people who in their last breath called on the name of the Lord and were saved. I believe it. I believe it. That's the merciful God that we save now. If you're listening to me, you're saying, well, I'm going to wait until my last breath. Don't do it. Don't gamble. Call on God right now. Amen. Get close to God right now and have something to bring God <laughs> instead of saying, God, I'm sorry I wasted my whole life. At least I'm in heaven. No, you have something to bring God. And he invested in you and you returned his investment back to him with, your, with the remaining years of your life. So out of the depths I cried to the Lord, the Lord I said, Lord, hear my voice. 
Let your ears be attentive for my cry for mercy. And here's the, here's the second thing. You're in the pit. You're crawling out because you've called out to God and you cry for mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is simply undeserved help. Undeserved help. You know how you can stay in your pit the rest of your life? Is if you keep telling yourself, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You know what? None of us deserve it. That'll keep you in the pit the rest of your life. But when you say, God, give me mercy. Give me something I don't deserve. You're, you're one foot out of your pit. <laughs> you're one foot out of your pit. Because you've gotten past the undeserved stupidity. And you said, God, I know I don't deserve it. But give it to me anyways. <laughs> give me undeserved help. That's what mercy is. So we got one step up. Two steps up. Here's a third step in verse 3. If you, Lord kept record of our sins, Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? And so in verse 4 it says, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. So there's a couple of things here. I don't deserve it, but here's the next thing I'll tell you. God, you've covered all my sins. You're not thinking about them, God. I'm not thinking about them either. How many times have you been tempted to think of all the wrongdoing? Think the worst thing that you ever did. And for each of us, that's a terrible thing, whatever it is. The worst thing that you ever did. Please stop thinking about it. God isn't thinking about it. If God can forgive you, can you forgive yourself as well? Can you? Forgive yourself. Reach out to God and say, forgive me, Lord. And then say, God, I forgive me too. <laughs> I forgive me too. Hey, you're out of the pit. When you're not keeping record of your own sins because God, your Savior, is not keeping record of your own sins either. And then you start climbing towards the peak. You're out of the pit. And now in verse 4 it says, so that we can with reverence serve you. You know what? The only person that can serve God is the person who's accepted the forgiveness of their sins. Now you're empowered to serve God, to do something good for Jesus, because you're not thinking about your past, you're thinking about your future, your eternal life that God has given you. Don't worry, we're just a minute away here. Verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits in his word. I put my hope, I trust in the Lord. Or, excuse me, I wait for the Lord. As you begin to serve the Lord, you start seeing you know what? God's leading me every step of the way. I didn't get to where I'm at by myself. God led me to where I'm at. Therefore, I'm going to allow God to lead me from this point forward. I'm going to stop being my own boss, and I'm going to let him be my boss. I'm not going to be my own guide. I'm going to let him be my own guide. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You start climbing up to that peak when you start letting God lead you. It says in verse 6, I will wait for the Lord. More than a watchman waits for the morning. More than a watchman waits for the morning. I've found in the Bible when it says it twice, re repeats, God's trying to get a point through to you. I'm going to watch for God. I'm going to stop watching for, you know, life to treat me good or people to treat me good or my boss or the government to treat me good. I'm watching for God to do something good for me. And now you're well up that mountainside, man. You're looking for God. I'm watching for God. I'm letting my eyes stay fixed on the Lord. I've decided not to, to set my heart on things below. I'm going to set my heart on things above. I'm keeping my eyes pointed up towards him. I'm watching for him. 
Verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, <laughs> for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And as you're climbing up, you're watching for the Lord, you start getting hopeful. And you better watch out. When you, starting, you start being hopeful in life, you're going to be unstoppable. When you hope in the Lord, nothing is going to get in your way. Every hindrance, you're going to leap right over it. You're going to bust your way right through it. You better watch it. You start getting hopeful and things are going to change in your life like you would never believe. No more depression. No more negativity. No more what ifs. It's only what if God does it? What if God does open this door? What if God gives me that job? What if God does this? What if God? You start talking that way and things are changing dramatically. You're very close to the peak. But here's the peak in verse 8. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. When you start reaching the top of your mountain, you're not thinking about yourself anymore. You're thinking about everybody else. And you're praying for other people because you know God's got you covered. You don't have to worry about yourself anymore. You start focusing on the things that God is focusing on. And you're living on the peak, man, from the pit to the peak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this time together. We thank you, God, for your rich and wonderful word. Oh, it's not my word. It's not our word. It's your word, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, God, Lord, for receptive hearts today. Mine being first, Lord Jesus. Receive, receive, receive the word of God. Hallelujah, Lord. Let us exit our pits, Lord Jesus, our traps, our, our jails, our prison cells. Lord, help us, help us to walk out and walk into your wonderful light, the light of your love, Lord, the light of your acceptance, Heavenly Father. The light of your comfort, O oh Lord Jesus, the light of your purpose for our lives, Lord God.